Welcome back to the Minion Podcast, a podcast about the Minnesota Twins and Major League Baseball. Well, this is the first episode that I've done in several months, but I've just been really busy with college and such. But today I have Kyle Edelbrock from Twinkie Town, our prospect guy, I guess, on to talk the MLB draft with me. How's it going, Kyle? It's it's going well. It's a much shorter draft than normal, as most people know. So that is um, an interesting experience. Yeah, it's usually it's usually like forty rounds or something, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's usually uh, forty rounds, three days. It's it's usually a marathon, um, and we've been sprinting through it pretty quick here so far. I mean, this one is usually like, like the NFL draft is like seven. So this was like sort of like the NFL draft in a shorter format, um, as as far as I'm aware. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, the NFL draft is seven rounds, I think, but yeah. they have even split that into three days because they yeah. get the TV ratings for it. Um, the baseball draft you know, when it was 40 rounds, they were, you know, teams were drafting any left-hand, you know, senior high school player in the country. So, you know, they're drafting no names. There's no way to to make it fun. So, like, this is the first time that ESPN has actually covered the draft since, like, 2008. Partially because there's no sports and partially because it's so much shorter and easier. I was surprised that they, because it's usually like the first round is on MLB Network, and then the and then the rest of it isn't on TV at all, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised that they pick that up. I'm glad that they did though, because I've really been starved for uh, any sort of sports related stuff that I can watch. Yeah, and it was it was interesting to see how well the NFL draft did remotely because it was the only sporting event on TV and it did great. And I, I, it would be interesting to see how the numbers did here for the MLB draft, even yeah. though people don't know the players quite as well. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause like in this time of uh, COVID-19, like people are just looking for anything to watch that's sports related. And mm-hmm. like, that was definitely it. The really funny thing is that, um, the first uh, sports league to come back uh, from in the U.S. from COVID nineteen is going to be Major League Soccer. They're starting on July eighth, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm really wondering because they're like tele- nationally televising all the games in like a they're doing like a, three games a day for sixteen straight days. Mm-hmm. It's like a tournament, a restart tournament. Uh, so I'm really interested to see how that performs because like nobody nothing else is going to be on so yeah um, like if does that make sense like the mm-hmm. people are just going to be so desperate to watch any sort of sports that they'll watch um like the they'll just watch like a like a soccer tournament for a league that a lot of people won't even really watch but well and the uh, premier league comes back next week i think um 
Right. And that's usually on NBC Sports. So it'll be interesting to see if that gets picked up more than it, than it I, usually does. It's usually a, a Friday, Saturday or a Saturday, Sunday morning thing. Yeah. Well, so it'll be interesting to see if that gets picked up and then if that carries into MLS as well. This could be a, this could be a um, really prime window for soccer, I guess, because like mm-hmm. basketball is not coming back for a while. Uh, baseball, I don't know when that's coming back. Um, it's um, like really all we have to watch is the MLB draft and pro soccer. So that it's yeah. um. It's weird times. Yeah, for sure. Um, but so I, I admittedly I only watched the first round, but what can you tell me about the picks that the twins made if you're familiar with any of the players? I, I like I'd never heard of Aaron Sabata before. <laughs> and then I, and then he got picked up and I was like, Oh yeah, might have to learn. Yeah, yeah. I didn't spend quite as much time on draft prep this year as I usually do. Usually I am checking, you know, SEC box scores every weekend, you know, for right. the college baseball games. I'm checking maybe Big 12 or, or um, Pac-12 ACC for sure, just to see how the like the top tier prospects are doing. So I wasn't as tuned into it, mostly because they weren't playing. And also because the draft was shorter. Um, so I, I knew of Aaron Sabato. I had, when I wrote my primer for Twinkie Town Sunday night, so that it would be published on Monday morning, I wrote like, I don't know, like, like maybe seven or eight blurbs of, of hitters. And then I kept scrolling down the list and I'm like, oh, Aaron Sabato, should I cover him? No, he's just the first baseman. So I didn't. And of course, we drafted <laughs> him. And then they. Uh, yeah, I, so it proves that I don't have any sources, right? I, that must have been really weird for the, because like there was no college baseball, there was no high school baseball, so they, they just kind of yeah went, um, off, went off of almost nothing from the past season. Well, and it's it's interesting because you'll there are a handful of pitchers, high school and like junior college pitchers who were able to inflate their draft prospects via Twitter, basically, and Zoom. And they, they used Rapsado machines, and they used all of those different new technologies that measure spin rates. And they were able to post their stuff on Twitter and, and send videos to scouts um, because it's, it's very easy to film that like, sort of stuff and use, and use the technology. Hitters don't have that benefit quite as easily. Like a pitching ninja sort of thing, or is the uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I enjoy a lot of uh, that sort of stuff. Just watching a bunch of random highlights. Um, I mean, I I didn't know I didn't know cause about that that they could inflate their prospects, but I I that's pretty neat that they were able to do that. Um, yeah. So Nick Bitsko, I think, is his name. I think he got picked by the. Devil or the Rays, I guess. The Rays. The Devil yeah. Rays. He, the, the... <laughs> he was actually, I mean, technically speaking, well, I guess not technically, but at the beginning of this year, he was a high school junior. So no one was scouting him because he wasn't going to get drafted this year. Well, he reclassified 
So he took more classes, I guess, so he could graduate early. He reclassified to graduate this year. But his season ended because he's from Pennsylvania. So like the season didn't even start. So we didn't get to pitch. So he took it to Twitter and to Zoom. And he used the reps auto machine at his local, you know, whatever he, he pitches at, the gym or whatever. And he ended up getting picked 24th overall. So it's pretty crazy how they're able to do that. Yeah. It almost feels like cheating. <laughs> but but I, I mean, I know it's not, but it, it, I mean, it's, it's probably, it's, it's smart, but you know what I'm talking about? Like that's usually something that they wouldn't be able to do, but then they, it'll be, it'll be interesting to, to track their careers. Um, and, and two, I think it, it, it plays, there's a, there's a lot that goes into it and that, that really is worthy of, of conversation one is the fact that we have the technology where people are able to create pitches they didn't have before using Zoom, right? They can, they can use these apps to measure spin rate and drop and velocity and all of that stuff. Um, talk to someone who knows how to throw a, a slider and the grip they should use and the pressure they should put on each finger. And within a week or two, they can completely change their breaking ball. That's huge, not just for people who are looking to get drafted, but for all pitchers, right? Like the, the, the legend of Johan Santana is that when he came to the Twins, Brad Radke or some pitching coach taught him how to throw a circle changeup. Um, and you have a few of those instances, like uh, Jake Odorizzi teaching people how to throw his cutter. Right. There's a few of those instances that you hear pop up every so often of one pitcher teaching someone else how to throw a different pitch and it changes their career. And now it happens every year for almost everybody. It, yeah, it's it's um, that's that's quite the resource to have at your disposal. Like if someone teaches you how to throw a pitch uh, that like you, you can't really pick that up a lot by yourself so if someone else can show you how to do it especially like like you know what i'm talking i'm kind of rambling here but no yeah i mean it's it's huge i mean being able to go to your local gym or wherever you know these high school or college kids are throwing take a video for 10 minutes throw 10 sliders send it to college coach high school coach scout whatever get feedback and then their next throwing cycle they can change their grip or whatever and they can throw a completely different pitch in a few weeks once they learn how to do it like that's huge and that's and you have the difference between then and now right you know 20 years ago pitching coach could tell johan santana how to throw a circle change now you can tell johan santana how to throw a circle change and have instantaneous proof that the changes that you're making are useful, right? You can see, oh, I've increased my spin rate. I've increased the plane of the pitch. I've increased the the drop. It's not just yeah. seeing eye test anymore. There's actual yeah, proof it's, behind it's it. Like a, it's like a sabermetrics thing. And you, mm -hmm. you can... Uh, that's a really... Um, that's a huge change because I know when they... I mean, have you seen the movie Moneyball? Oh, of uh, course. Yeah. 
I I remember um, watching that, and they were like the first, like those a those A's teams. I mean, people had used to a lesser extent to statistics before, but I feel like they sort of revolutionized it. If that, it, and uh, that was, and then every now everyone's doing that sort of like they have all these statistics that they can. Well, and now it's it's moved beyond statistics, right? Like a lot of what the A's did and, and the teams in that era, they were they were looking at stats that we already had, right? They were looking at on base percentage, you know. Well, I can find on base percentage on the back of a baseball card, you know, if it's the right yeah. baseball card. What people are looking at now is basically video technology, right? Like the Twins are known for drafting two things: they draft hitters who have high exit velocities. That's something that you can only get if there's a camera. And then they, they're known for pitchers with spin rates, high spin rates. So the, the guy that they selected in the fourth round this evening uh, is a young man by the name of Marco Raya. Well, he has some videos on Twitter of him throwing a fastball with 2,300 revolutions per minute, RPM. That's more RPM than Jose Barrios and Jake Odorizzi average. And there's video of Marco Raya throwing a slider with 2,700 RPM, which is elite level spin rates. You never used to see that from high schoolers. Yeah, you never used I'm to just, have proof. You could I'm have high saying, school stats, but sorry. it wasn't nearly as worth it. If, if you're a high school kid and you're already – past Jose Barrios and something, you're probably pretty dang good <laughs> at the, at, at doing. Absolutely. Baseball. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it's going to change the way people scout because if, you know, think of like Minnesota sports, right? No, yeah. very few people get scouted in Minnesota baseball because we have a short season and everything like that. But if a 17 year old has that video technology and they can show themselves with 2,400 RPM on their fastball or 2,300 RPM on their fastball, even if they're in the lowest division of high school, right? No scout's going to go watch Division One baseball in Minnesota, you know, the, the super small towns or whatever. Yeah. But if you have that video on Twitter of you get it hitting 90 miles an hour as a 17-year-old with enough spin, that is that can be a life changer. Um. It's like I I know I know for a fact that um, did any more um, I know that Max Meyer from the U of M he got drafted. Did any more kids from Minnesota get picked up, or is that where was he the only one? You know, I I don't know. I wasn't really checking. I don't think any other Gophers got selected. The only other guy that I saw there was a Max Carlson from Burnsville, but he did not get selected. Um, so he would have been the only other Minnesota player. I, I remember um, seeing a tweet. Uh, I was doing the Twitter last night during the draft, but the, the um, I remember seeing a tweet. It was like, Max Myers, the highest Minnesotan draft pick since uh, Joe Maurer. In uh, whenever that was, 2003, um, 2001 so or 2000, I think, but yeah, if you get if you get 
mentioned in the same sentence as Joe Maurer, then you're probably, um, I mean, I hope he does well, but. Um, well, there, there have been three minutes or four Minnesotans now drafted third overall or higher. Joe Maurer, uh, Paul Molitor, and Dave Winfield. So realistically speaking, three of the four will be Hall of Famers, and then the fourth is Max Meyer. So it's pretty, pretty big shoes to try to fill. That is, that is really good company to put yourself in. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just as a, if you get mentioned in the same category as Joe Maurer, Paul Molitor, and Dave Winfield, you're. I feel like you have um, a huge weight on your shoulders to be as good as those guys, those guys, because that's really tough to do. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, so back to back to our our draftees, I guess. Um, the the twins had a twins draft, which means that they looked for those two things I mentioned. So for hitters, they look for exit velocity, which more or less equates to power. And on pitchers, they drafted one pitcher, um, Marco Rea, but they got they got spin rates on pitches, which is what what they look for. We'll see, you know, in the near future, how that plays out system wide. I mean, this is the fourth draft that Falvey and and Levine have had, and they've more or less stuck to those two guns, no matter what. I mean, Royce Lewis and Keanu Cavaco are a bit different um, because they were drafting, you know, earlier in the first round, they had a bit more of that high upside potential. But other than that, they draft power hitters and they draft pitchers who can spin it. And, you know, a guy like Ryan Jeffers, it worked out great. Um, Trevor Larnick, it's been working out great so far. So, yeah, Aaron Sabato, not super exciting for most people because he's a right-handed first baseman. But, I mean, the guy hit, you know, 343 in the ACC last year. He was. I was watching some of his highlights, and he seems like he has a lot of power. So I feel he like can he mash. Yeah, they yeah. gave him um, MLB Pipeline gave him sixty power, you know, plus power, which there there weren't a ton of college mashers this year. Um, usually, there are a handful of guys with sixty grade power in college um, at various positions. This year, there were only a handful, maybe five, and Sabata was one of them. So, I, I was just thinking, like, I don't really watch very much college baseball at all like i i watch college football and college basketball but like college baseball isn't something that i would usually think to pay a ton of attention to um it's it's just kind of i mean like the the um gms have to pay a lot of attention to it but it's just like not a big deal and and, you know yeah, the the only time it ever really sees any play is when it's when they're doing the College World Series, um, which is exciting. It's a it's a fun tournament. I think it yeah. just gets overshadowed. Um, that's usually it's basketball playoffs, hockey playoffs, middle of baseball season, MLB season. So I think college yeah. baseball just gets overshadowed quite a bit. Yeah, I I um I just like the. Really, the um, only college sports that get a lot of 
a lot of attention year-rounder football and basketball. And beyond that, you don't really see a lot of – like, you don't look at something and it says, like, oh, here's some college baseball highlight. Like, it's on the Big Ten Network and SEC Network and ACC Network and all that stuff, but it's – and I, I'll watch it if nothing else is on, but it's just not a – something that crosses my mind very often. A lot of college, this is another thing, a lot of college baseball players who get drafted will only ever make it to the minors, um, mm-hmm. depending on the round that they get picked in. Um, like, because, like, if you're, if you're playing college basketball and you get drafted, you're probably, or college football, you're probably, if you're good enough, play for but you get sent to the minors um, right away if you're a baseball player. Almost yeah. always. For years. And and there's also the fact that it's it's just a very different game, right? So even for fans of Major League Baseball, college baseball is totally different. I mean, some people hate the noise of an aluminum bat, which is kind of silly, but it, there's bunting and, and all of that too. It's yeah, just a different game. I mean, I love so, aluminum bats because I played with aluminum bats when I played softball. But uh, I, I, I just, I mean, I get that people would be annoyed by that if it's not something they're used to. But like, I, like when you hear a ping when you get a real when you make contact really well, that's like one of my favorite sounds. But I, I under. I understand why that would be foreign to a lot of people. Um, and it's just like uh, even the best college teams, the SECs, the, the Pac-10, the Pac-12 schools, the ACC schools, they're filled with a lot of like, I mean, I guess you'd say they're they're good college baseball players, obviously, because they're at the best schools. But like you said, like half of the, the draftees from a certain school are going to be senior signs who maybe make it to double a you know and that's at the best schools so that's not even counting you know big 10 which is a major conference they might have you know five people in a draft year make it to the majors at some point and they might not be career you know career major leaguers they might be up and down or they might have a a, a small cup of coffee and that's it how good is Big Ten baseball? Because I, I really only pay attention to, um, like, I'll, I'll watch whatever for, like, football and basketball, but I mostly pay attention to, like, the Big Ten schools because um, they're, um, like, local. So I, I understand I understand the that region a lot better than, say, like, the SEC or the ACC. Yeah, uh, Big Ten is, is okay, and they're they're very um, seasonal. They they go back and forth between being really good and, and really bad, basically because they're mostly northern schools. So their talent pool is very dependent just on who's coming from their states. Um, so where the SEC always has good people who play baseball year round. <laughs> The Big Ten schools, it's much, it's much more feast or famine. They're probably, I mean, if you, and I'm not a huge college baseball guy. I, I know enough to, to follow the draft, but usually tier one is SEC. They're sort of on their own tier. 
tier two would be um, the ACC and the Pac-12, and they will flip-flop, which is better. But typically the ACC is, is – I would think the ACC is a little bit better, but some people might say the Pac-12 is. And then the tier below that would be Big 12 and Big 10. Big 12 is usually a bit better because it's Texas, Oklahoma. Right. A lot of a lot more mm-hmm. year round baseball, and then Big Ten would be at the last or the the bottom end of the major conferences. So it's it's like it's like football where the SEC is like the top, or the they they claim to be at least, and it might be a little more warranted in baseball, but it's like they're just ahead of the pack, and then there's like the other tiers below the head, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, um, even, like, I watch a lot of college sports, but I've, and I consume a lot of college sports coverage, but I really haven't, um, like, I've never, ever seen, except for, like, the College World Series, I've never seen, like, college baseball highlights on SportsCenter. Like, it, like, that's not something that you see very often. Um, just as a, like, it's, yeah. it's not, it's just not something people watch. Well, I, I think there's a lot of things to it. I mean, one, the pool of players is lessened, right? So if you're, if you want right. to be a football player, you have to play college football right now. If you want to be a, a play in the NBA, you have to go to the NCAA for at least for one year. Yeah. In baseball, that's not the case. I mean, this year was a very college-heavy draft. But, I, I mean, the Twins selected a high schooler, Royce Lewis, I, first I think, overall. I think in hockey you can get drafted at a high school. I mean, I could be wrong, but... You can, yep. I, I don't watch a lot of hockey, but I just know for a fact that that's one of the sports where you can get drafted out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but... In hockey, if you get drafted out of high school, you can still go play in college. They own your rights. Yeah. Um, but you can still play in college. In baseball, if you get drafted out of high school, Isn't... you have to you have to sign with them. Well, you don't I... have to sign with them, but you either you either play with the pro, pro team or you go to college. There's you, They don't hold your rights. So there's um, a huge financial incentive to not play college baseball for a lot of the best players, which lessens the talent pool, which makes it not as as watchable i did see that a lot of them when i I just i just watched the first round i did see that a lot of them had like like signed to vanderbilt or something like that or like signed to mississippi state or something like they had colleges that they were committed to but they were they had been drafted out of high school yeah i mean almost every notable base high school baseball player will commit to a school um, in part because it, it helps their their leverage in, in contract negotiations or, or bonus negotiations. So if, sure. if I'm um, Ed Howard, who got drafted by the, the Cubs, 15th overall, he was committed. Let me see where he was committed to. Sorry, did you see the Bob Nightingale tweet about Ed Howard? Not um, the not the best tweet. Um, it was a tweet, but it wasn't a very good one. It wasn't very good. Just I don't. I it seems sort of tone deaf. 
I don't, I don't, uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, people can go look for it. It's, it's nothing to, to I'm not sure how many of enjoy. my listeners will understand what this is, but it, it's, it wasn't great. Um, so anyway, so Ed I, Howard, I, so yeah. Ed Howard was signed or committed to Oklahoma, right? Big 12 school one of the better big 12 schools right so that's a good place to go if you if you want to have a, a future in baseball well with the mlb draft the bonus money you get for being drafted is not set in stone it's it's a contract negotiation you get to negotiate how much you sign for so if ed howard isn't committed if he's not going to go play college he, everyone knows he's going to go pro they don't have to sign him for as much because what else is he going to do? So you, you sign on with a school so that you can use that as leverage. Someone can say, you know, a team can say, oh, we're going to pay you three and a half million dollars if we draft you. And the player can say, no, I, if you only going to pay me three and a half, I'm going to go to Oklahoma. I want four and a half, you know, so there's a lot of negotiation there. So basically every good high school baseball player will be committed. Schools know when they sign people that they're probably never coming, but it's a really good fallback yeah. option to have. I was just thinking about like Kyler Murray. I know he got, I know he went to college, Yep. but um, the, he got to pick which sport he played professionally, which is insane. Um, Cause he was that good at both of them, but, um, he picked football because that is obviously the more lucrative option, I would think. But um, and he was pretty darn good with the Cardinals last year. But um, the the Athletics got him, I think. Um, yeah, they gave him a lot of money. I think they were going to give him like, well, they they did. They signed him to like an eight or nine million dollar deal. They went over slot for him to try to, to woo him to baseball. Um, but the reality with, with minor league baseball is that even if he would have gotten a $9 million signing bonus, he was going to make $10,000 the next year. You know, so the 9 million, yeah, you can save that and put that in the bank for a rainy day. But when you, the next year he's only making, you know, $10,000, there would be no guarantee that he'd make the majors as good as he was. He had some, some major issues with his hit tool. So there was no guarantee that he was ever going to get that, you know, $10, 15000000 million contract. Um, didn't they, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Didn't they, didn't they, like, offer him to, like, skip ahead a few levels just to throw in an incentive um, or something like that? I seem to remember that. They, I think they, they were going to fast track him as best they could just because that's what you do with good college players. And he was, I think he was slightly older because he had redshirted he had transferred or something like that. So he was going to, you know, they're going to try to fast track him a little bit. There was only so much you can fast track him because he had so many issues with his hit tool. He had, he had strikeout problems, you know, typical strikeout problems. So they had to fix that first, but then they would, you know, his defense in the outfield was good enough where he could be, you know, a, a backup outfielder without, you know, without fixing his bat. Um, so yeah, they were they were going to fast track him, and they they offered him a whole bunch of money. But you just make so much more in your rookie contract in the NFL that it was it was better to do that. Oh yeah, and he was. 
I mean, the Cardinals were awful, but he was um, not terrible as is his his rookie season in football. But um, and I think he like preferred football. But it's kind of crazy that he was that good that he could get drafted top ten in both. Um, I saw him play um, in high school for Allen Eagles in the in the Dallas suburbs. I saw him play his senior year, and he was insane. He was otherworldly athlete. So I, I can I can totally believe that he's that good. It's too bad we won't be able to see him do both because it would it'd been really cool to see. He could have done like a Bo Jackson thing. Uh, that would have been pretty crazy. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm not sure if we'll ever see another Bo Jackson in, in that, doing both or a Deion Sanders. Um, no, I think it's I think it's to a point where teams protect their assets too much, right? They're you know back then. I mean, Kirby Puckett had the the highest con- baseball contract at like four million in the '90s, like in the early '90s. Now the highest baseball contract is forty, thirty-five. I don't know, thirty-five million. NFL contracts, though, those have gone up. So it's the the teams are the, the finances of the leagues are so high compared to what they used to be, with the big TV deals and everything like that. That there's no reason for a team to let their player do that. Like it's, it's, there's too much risk involved. Like if, could you imagine if, um, Kyler Murray slid into a base rung and broke his leg and he wouldn't be able to play football. Like that'd be a major issue. Yeah. That would be pretty devastating for him. I was also thinking like, I mean, I guess Michael Jordan didn't do basketball and baseball at the same time, but I was watching, I watched the Jordan doc uh on ESPN and they talked about him doing baseball and it was that I feel like that was more of a marketing gimmick than anything but um he didn't play them both at the same time which is probably smart mm-hmm. I, yeah. and it's really difficult to do that cuz like I mean I played like I was a high school student so this is way different, but I played four sports um, um, as a kid. And that was, I mean, what you want to be well-rounded when you're a young kid, but like you kind of have to pick one at some point. Like, if that, it, does that make sense? Yeah. You kind of have to pick one when you get to a certain age mm-hmm. and hone in on that. Yeah, I mean, the last, other than Kyler Murray, who was the last dual sport guy, was it Jeff Samarja? There might have been someone between there, but, like, that's a huge gap. So you, it's it's rare to get that amount of athleticism for someone to be able what to do both. What else did Jeff Samarja play? He was a wide receiver for Notre Dame. Oh, that's right. Oh, and Torrey Hunter Jr., yeah, not um, to the same level as, as these other two guys, but yeah. Yeah, because he, he was a wide receiver at Notre Dame. I just thought of that. Um, and then he also, he just signed with the Angels, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and of course, Joe Maurer had the potential to do that, but, but he picked baseball over 
going to play college football. That worked out pretty well for him. Yeah, it did. I remember having a conversation with a um, a teacher in high school, and he insisted that if Joe Maurer played for the Vikings, they would have a Super Bowl by now. Um, And I'm not sure about that. (laughs) But um, that was an interesting thought experiment. Like, what if Joe Maurer had played for the Vikings instead of the Twins? Or... um, well, I mean, we already have people complaining about Kirk Cousins' contract, so it's kind of the same thing, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I I was just thinking about that. Like, Kirk Cousins is the new is almost the new Joe Maurer because he, I mean, I like. Complaining about contracts is a favorite time of Minnesota sports fans, I I would guess. Um, And it's really not that big of a... Because I I was of the opinion that Joe Maurer had earned that much money, but some people were very unconvinced with this. Um, And... I, Kirk Cousins, I think you could make a better argument that he that he doesn't deserve that contract, but nonetheless, it's kind of weird to get hung up on, oh, this player is making this much money. and I mean, you want to pay your high-ranking high players a lot of money, I guess, but... Yeah, it's it's certainly different conversations between a, a sport with a salary cap and a sport without one, but certainly, yeah. Does does football have a salary cap? Yep. Um I mean, yeah, it does. Uh, which which one doesn't have a salary? Is that a baseball doesn't? Baseball I mean, they doesn't? they they sort of have one. They have the luxury tax, which is becoming more and more of a soft salary cap. I mean, but, like, basketball has a set. I think basketball has a salary cap, but they still build those super teams. Uh, the really funny thing is that the only soccer league in the world that has a salary cap is um, MLS because that's a very American thing to do. Uh-huh. And a lot of a lot of people who watch primar- primarily – European soccer would be like, oh, if they just got rid of the salary cap, they would be like one of the best leagues in the world. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't get it. The the salary cap they do that so that there aren't like gigantic teams and then everyone else is at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess it's a whole different conversation, and uh, in a sport like that, where there are like a few gigantic teams and then everyone else is just kind of average mm-hmm. um, the the last thing that I want to talk about and then I'll let you go because I'm kind of getting tired it's pretty late as we're recording this but um, how is this going to impact the farm system if you're if you can give me an answer about how that how that will this wall factor, the draft picks wall factor in 
Yeah. Um, so there's there's two ways of looking at it. So just on on the nose, right? So looking at the players that we that we selected, we we had four picks um, in the draft. We got three power bats and and one young pitcher. Um, the thing that I've I've talked a lot about in my draft coverage and my prospect coverage is that the, the twins are building prospect depth. So in the, in the Bill Smith and Terry Ryan years, they were fairly balanced and they had had some good pitchers and some good hitters. We got lucky that most of our hitters at that time panned out, right? We got Sano and Polanco and Kepler and Buxton and they, and Rosario and they all worked, right? They all made it. They were all top 10 prospects at one time or the other, and they all worked out. The pitchers in that same era didn't. Cole Stewart, St- Steven Gonzalez, um, Alex Wimmers, when we drafted him you know, a decade ago now. The current f- front office is taking the opposite approach. They're drafting some pitchers here or there, and they're developing pitchers well overall, but they're drafting bats and hitters at a far higher rate so that they have incredible depth to use. So one of the things that I sort of mentioned in a, in a recent post is that, realistically speaking, we have three copies of Trevor Larnick, right? We have Alex Kirilov, we have Trevor Larnick himself, and then we have Matt Walner. And then if this outfielder that we drafted today, um, Alaric Solari, if he pans out to his potential, he would be sort of a fourth Carbon copy, corner outfielder with power. So we have four of them. Okay, well, we need one of them to make it to the big leagues. The other three, one or two of them might flounder. And then whoever's left, we can trade for pitching. Same with a guy like Aaron Sabato. He is kind of a carbon copy of Brent Rooker. Brent Rooker plays outfield, but he'll probably have to shift to first base or DH at some point. Right-handed power hitter. Okay, well, now we have Rooker and Sabato. We probably need one of them to eventually replace Nelson Cruz and probably overthrow Miguel Sano if he's not a good first baseman. The other one we can trade. You know, so we're building depth in those areas that allows us to be really creative with trades. I would say Sabato probably ends up maybe at the, at the very tail end of our top 10 in prospects. Um, you know, we have really seven guys that are really locked into to their spot in in the prospect rankings. And, and by those seven, I, I mean Lewis, Kirloff, Larnick, Belazovic, uh, Juan Duran, Ryan Jeffers. And then you could probably put Keone Cavaco in there too, even though he didn't play too well pro. Below that, there's a handful of people that are all up and down. And I would say Sabato probably fits in there. You might see some sites rank him wherever they rank Brent Rooker, just because they're so similar. The other prospects we drafted, um, I would say Solari's probably a top 20 guy. And then the high school pitcher we took probably won't be draft, you know, probably won't be ranked for a while. Um, and neither will our, our final pick, who was, a, who was an outfielder from Hawaii. Uh, Rosario is his last name. He probably won't be on the top 30 rankings, but we'll probably get two guys that are top 15, top 20 for sure uh, in terms of rankings. And then in terms of real life, 
you know, the, the depth is there, which will be super beneficial. Wait, so you're telling me we got another outfielder with the last name Rosario? That's what, that's what I um Yeah. Yep, we got, um, I think it's Kalai. I, I won't be able to pronounce his first name. But Rosario, he's a, a big masher, outfielder, lots of power. Same thing. Uh, exit velocity and power is what they look for. Um, well, usually these episodes are about 45 minutes, and we're, and we're kind of getting up to that right now. So unless there's anything more that you have in mind, I was going to wrap it up right here because I think we covered quite a bit. In, Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so and I appreciate because look, the draft just ended. There we go. I appreciate you coming on and ex- and explaining all this to me because I really didn't pay that much that much close attention to it. Absolutely, I, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, and if there's, and I'll gladly have you on again if there's if anything else comes up prospect related or just in general that I'd like to discuss, but it's. Um, you seem to be really locked in. Well, that's you're our farm system guy, and you're really locked into the miners, and so that's uh, that's probably that's not my wheelhouse at all. I'm more interested in the major leagues, but I do pay attention to the miners at a very I don't, it's not, it's just not something I have a ton of, like, knowledge about, and so I'm glad that you were able to just help me out in discussing this topic, which, I mean, the draft was a little different this year because it was only five rounds, and so that was quick, but it, um, there's still a lot you can cover about just that. Oh yeah. Um, so thanks for coming on and I'll talk to you later, I guess that at some future. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. All right. That was episode nine of the, Minion Podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to be sure to respond if you have any comments. Thanks everybody.